0: You're listening to Families Under Pressure, a podcast series from the Life Course Centre. Over this series, we examine the pressures facing families today and the practical steps that can be taken to better support our children and families over their life course journey. Hello, and welcome to Families Under Pressure. I'm Professor Matt Sanders from the University of Queensland and a Chief Investigator in the Life Course Centre. In this first episode, I'm joined by the Director of the Life Course Centre, Professor Janine Baxter, also of the University of Queensland and a leading sociologist at the forefront of research on family dynamics. Welcome, Janine. Hi, Matt. Look, let's start by talking a little bit about the Life Course Centre and why you think it's so important.
1: Yes, thank you Matt. The Life Course Centre, the full name is the Australian Research Council, Centre of Excellence for Children and Families over the Life Course. And the Centre was established in twenty fourteen, and I'm very pleased to say that recently we received another seven years of funding from the Australian Research Council. The Centre is a collaborative endeavor with chief investigators like yourself at four universities around the country, University of Queensland, Melbourne, Sydney and Western Australia, and we've also partnered with a whole range of government and community organisations who, like us, are interested in understanding the drivers of disadvantage and what we can do to ameliorate it.
0: I suspect that it's this collaboration that involves such a concentrated focus on disadvantage from a multidisciplinary perspective that really sets the life course centre apart, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. I think the multidisciplinary focus is really important because we know that disadvantage is a complex problem. It accrues over time across the life course, even across generations in some cases. And we also know that there's key life course events and transitions, for example, starting school, getting married, having your first child, finding employment, that really are very important in understanding how disadvantage takes hold and how we can introduce policies and programs to reduce it. And I think we really need that kind of multidisciplinary, multi-perspective framework to really understand all of the facets of disadvantage and what we can do to make a difference to it.
0: Yeah, it's been fascinating for me to just see the different multidisciplinary perspectives around the same issue, whether you're talking as a sociologist or a psychologist or an economist or an epidemiologist, the same events looked at through different lenses, different understandings can come together, can't they?
1: Absolutely. And I think we also, as well as a different theoretical focus, People from different disciplines bring different methodological expertise as well. They do. And it's that kind of multifaceted tackling of the problem from all those perspectives that really shines a light on what are some of the key life course events, but also what we can do about supporting people as they move through those kinds of transitions.
0: So, when we think about applying this multidisciplinary perspective that's used in the Life Course Centre, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what we've discovered so far about children and families experiencing disadvantage.
1: Yes, well, there's been a wealth of research that's come out of the Life Course Centre over the last few years, and we've focused on particular areas like education. Your work, for example, has focused on parenting. Others have focused on the welfare system and and tax transfers. And what we've found is that the playing field is not level for all Australian families and children. And the risks of social, economic, and health disadvantage are not static and they're always changing. And COVID-19, of course, in 2020 has really brought that home. That was certainly an unexpected event, which is having you know all sorts of implications for not only those who are already disadvantaged, but it's pushing new people, new groups into disadvantage. But what we found is that disadvantage is not random. We can predict the kinds of families that will fall into disadvantage. We also know it's multi-dimensional, so we don't just focus on economic disadvantage, but we need to look at health disadvantage. Psychological disadvantage, social isolation. We know it's cumulative, so that if you experience one form of disadvantage, you're more likely to experience another, that it's correlated, and we know that some groups of people are much more at risk than others. And importantly, what the life course approach shows us is that disadvantage is transferred within families and across generations. So if you are born into a family, for example, where your parents are disadvantaged on one of these indicators, then you're much more likely to experience disadvantage as you grow up and much more likely to be disadvantaged when you reach adulthood. So this is what a life course perspective can show us that we need to start early to understand how disadvantage develops, but also ideally start early to to try to mitigate it.
0: I couldn't agree more. if you think about these as being truly exceptional times in some ways, it's interesting to just conjecture about what are some of the unique pressures on families today, taking into account the COVID experience that we're all going through. It's a, it's a very strange world we're living in at the moment, isn't it?
1: It's absolutely unprecedented. It's really turned a lot of things upside down. And it's, it's a severe life course shock that we know from a life course point of view, will play out not only for the current generation, but potentially across multiple generations. And looking back historically at things like depressions and the world wars and and other historical events, we can see how those events have long-term impacts for a whole range of areas. Things like employment, household finances, schooling, higher education, loneliness, social connectedness, particularly in the COVID-19, era is a is a critical thing mental health so a large scale shock like this means that not only is risk of disadvantage further entrenched but we're seeing particular groups experiencing more disadvantage than others and and what we've seen in covid-19 is a disproportionate impact on women but also young people and and the mental health education and employment consequences for for young people are really quite severe and you know will have long-term consequences. We also know that, again, looking historically, that when there are economic shocks, it can impact on things like people deciding to get married. People are much more likely to delay those kinds of family formation decisions. It will most certainly delay young people leaving home. They won't be able to afford to leave home, perhaps at the, at the age they would have normally. It'll delay getting a first job, delay becoming a parent and maybe delay buying a house. So there are all sorts of long-term consequences that we'll see perhaps played out over a a very long time as a result of the the current experience that we're all going through.
0: We all live in family groups of... uh one way or another, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the role of families in helping people, young people, people at any stage of the life cycle, navigate through these challenging times.
1: Yeah, this is an area that I'm particularly interested in. I think there's a lot of research to show that families are really critical for well-being not just of children, but also adults, And families are very dynamic institutions as well. We've seen a lot of change in family structures. We've certainly seen a a huge rise in rates of cohabitation and declines in marriage rates. We've seen changes in fertility rates. But nevertheless, families are still very important social institutions and they're critical, particularly for children, in terms of that early life course development and setting people on the right path and so you know strong family relationships however you define families is very important for overall life satisfaction health and well-being and and certainly your research has shown us that parenting supports particularly for the most vulnerable and at-risk families can be really important for building resilience and setting strong strong foundations for moving forward
0: yeah it's remarkable when you really think about the community and how COVID and other forms of economic stress are really influencing family relationships, family functioning. We just sort of need to ask the question, what is it that we can do as a family to mitigate some of the adverse effects that might otherwise stem from these very, very stressful circumstances. And one of the things that I've become really convinced of is that if we as adults in our parenting role do the best we can to be able to try to control those things that we can actually influence within our own families, with our children, which include the kinds of relationships we have with them. It includes things like our own personal management of our own stress, levels just remaining uh, healthy and active and socially connected, then it's not all doom and gloom. And it's remarkable how resilient a population can be when it needs to be, particularly if you activate a protective response towards our offspring. There's something about caring for our kids and doing the right thing for our kids that's actually good for us all. I mean, what are your thoughts about that, about the importance of parenting at this time?
1: Oh, look, I absolutely agree with that, and there's certainly a lot of research, including a lot of yours, that, that shows parenting is critical, but I, I suppose that one thing that we've found in the Life Course Centre, and your, you, your work has shown this as well, is that it's very difficult for parents with few resources to actively provide that kind of support for their children. If, if you're struggling with your own financial circumstances, your own relationships, employment worries, health worries, it's really difficult to provide that kind of resilient and and stress-free environment. And certainly what we know from the COVID-19 experience is that it's those disadvantaged families that are going to suffer the most. They're the ones that will be particularly stressed at the moment in terms of family resources. And parents, particularly those who are finding themselves out of employment, it's much harder for those groups to provide those kinds of supports to their children. So what we might see as a result of COVID-19, you know, it could go a couple of ways. It it could be an opportunity to, to rethink and reset some of our institutional supports. On the other hand, what we might see is that the rungs of the hierarchy or what we might call the socioeconomic ladder are pulled further apart making it much harder for disadvantaged young people to avoid becoming disadvantaged adults. And that will not only influence their own lives, but also their children. And that's what we mean by this trap of intergenerational disadvantage, where your experience as an adult will affect not only yourself, but also the supports and resources you can provide to your children.
0: It's interesting, you know, I mean, over the years, uh, my own work with socially disadvantaged families is that the thing that I've always been impressed about is that virtually all parents, doesn't matter what their social circumstances are, want to try to do the right thing by their kids. It's certainly much harder for people who've got very high levels of stress in their lives, including problems like substance abuse and mental health problems and unemployment and so on, housing insecurity. But fundamentally, people are actually trying to do the best they can under very trying circumstances. And what this sort of challenges us to do as a community, as a government, is to make sure that we're investing in the kinds of evidence-based programs that have really been shown to be of benefit to families in these sort of circumstances, recognising that there is no simple magic formula that's going to make these problems go away completely. I wonder if I could ask you, Janine, when you think about the life course Centre contribution to date, what sort of things would you point to that mean kind of assistance for real people in disadvantage?
1: Yeah, well, I think, I think we've done a number of things. There's a lot more to be done, of course, but we've put social disadvantage on the agenda and we've also, I think, showcased what a life course approach can bring to those policies and those programs. So that's, I think that's important and we've really tried to provide government state and Commonwealth with an understanding of how a life course approach disadvantage can can support families. The other thing that we've done is to build some of the infrastructure needed to support good evidence-based policies and we've done this by negotiating access to a whole range of sensitive government data on children and families that hasn't been accessed before and This is often administrative data that's collected as people are provided with social services. But what these data provide is really important population level evidence over time about how they're travelling and the critical points in the life course where strategic interventions can be developed. We've also trialled and evaluated some of those interventions around parenting, education and employment to see what works. And of course, as I said, there's a lot more to be done. We've mainly focused on, the, on on general population and average tendencies. And what we want to do in the new Life Course Centre is to drill down a lot more closely into particular places because we know that disadvantage accrues differently and is experienced differently for different people in different places. So I think we need to drill down a little bit further Because we know, for example, there's no such thing as an average person. We need fine-tuned and fine-grained interventions that work for real people in real places.
0: I guess one of the things that we can just basically ask is... Is it possible for families to exit from poverty? Because when we think about the, the pervasive impact on social disadvantage on people's lives, their health, their opportunities, their relationships, it's too easy to conclude it's all too hard and that we're basically stuck with this and we're never going to be able to exit out of poverty. I mean, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, no, look, I think... I think you know certainly there is evidence that some people move into poverty and remain in poverty or disadvantage as i prefer to call it for long periods of time and we know for example at the moment there's a group of people in australia around about a million adults and children who are who are stuck in what we might call deep and persistent disadvantage so
0: it's a by, lot of people.
1: Yeah, by deep we mean they've got more than one form of disadvantage. They may have financial and health and housing disadvantage. And persistent, you know, we know that they stay may stay there for many years. So the disadvantage is deeply entrenched and there's no simple solution. And it's, you know, it's what we might call a, a wicked problem that a wealthy country like Australia where up until this year we've seen almost 30 years of uninterrupted economic growth, that there is this group that consistently miss out. But, but what we know though, is that people do move out of, of disadvantage. And the, the, the real um, value of some of the longitudinal data that we've looked at, is that we, we can track and see how people move in and what are the factors that move them out. So it is a complex problem. It'll take a lot of effort both from academics and government and and other organisations, but I certainly don't think it's intractable.
0: My theory, my guess, is that moving out of poverty is also related to not only opportunity, but relationships, the quality of relationships people have. And I wonder if you could just reflect for a moment on what your key takeaway message might be. When you think about this whole area we've been discussing today, and any implications for policy or for practice, but the key takeouts.
1: i just I guess I'd reiterate the disadvantage is complex. there's no single or simple solution, no silver bullet. I think we need to tackle it from a range of different perspectives at every stage of the life course. So although we know the early years are very important, That doesn't mean that you shouldn't also be putting in place programs to support adults and and people further on in the life course. I also think, and I'm probably speaking as a sociologist here, that there are really big structural issues at play. So a lot of our programs and interventions are directed at individuals, and that's important, but we also need to change the, the rules and the the kind of the way in which organisations and institutions might address disadvantage so we need we need that kind of multi-pronged individual and structural level solution and i i do think that although covid-19 is entrenching disadvantage and perhaps moving new groups into disadvantage it may also be an opportunity to really draw a line in the sand and rethink how we can organised work and family and parenting and education so that we can achieve real change. So I'm not totally pessimistic about the impacts of COVID-19. Rather, it might just be the once-in-a-lifetime event that really makes us rethink what we
0: can achieve. Thanks so much, Janine, for talking to me today.
1: Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure.
0: That's it for our first episode of Families Under Pressure. I'm Professor Matt Sanders, and I'll be interviewing more Life Course Centre Chief Investigators in coming episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your family, friends and colleagues and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.